Next on News for the Soul Radio, it's time for Perfectly Holistic with Pam. Pam is a cat mom and holistic health seeker who, after suffering an injury that wouldn't heal, was led on a journey to seek out alternative, holistic, and natural medicine. She now shares what she learned, helping people and their cats along their path to holistic health. Pam has taken courses in holistic health for animals, muscle testing, and animal communication. Please welcome Pam. Back to News for the Soul. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Perfectly Holistic Radio Show. I am Pam Roussel with Perfectly Holistic, and I am so excited to be back with you guys again for another great conversation with one of with the topic that is very near and dear to my heart and very passionate about this topic. And I found a a fellow compadre who is just, if not more passionate about this than I am, and I am so thrilled and honored to have Dr. Jeff Grognett with me today. How are you? Doing, doing great, Pam. Awesome, awesome. I'm going to just read people who, who do not know who you are. Dr. Grognan is a practicing veterinarian and an award-winning author. Uh, with over 40 years in practice, he has been actively teaching for 35 years. He has taught over 42,000 students wanting to create veterinary assisting careers. He has developed courses on pet first aid, behavior and training, as well as holistic therapy. Dr. Jeff has a passion to teach owners how they can take better care of their pets from a holistic standpoint. He focuses on nutrition, minimizing vaccines, and reducing toxin exposure. He has courses and a regular blog that you can follow at uh, newearthvet.com. So again, welcome and thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Pam. I'm sure glad to be here. Yes, well, I know this is a very important topic for you because we've had chats in the past about vaccines and over-vaccination and things like that. How did you first come across or have a realization, that aha moment, like, uh-oh, I think what we're doing is way off in my profession? Well, the, the thing that happened, of course, is right around 1992, 3, around there, uh, there was a thing that came out of saying that, did you know that cat vaccines are, are causing some cancer? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I've already had all my doubts all in a line. I mean, the, the things are already going. The, the, I mean, just to put this in perspective, I graduated in 1983. So it was back in, before you were born. Okay. It's <laughs> only. Okay, but anyway, the, the point is, when I graduated, and for the next 20 years, veterinarians were told, you got to vaccinate every year, you know, and 
And, the, and here's, here's the thing that really uh, sort of stuck with me during that time. In immunology classes, I was taught that parvovirus, which is canine parvovirus or feline panleukopenia, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. both parvoviruses, I was told in that class that parvovirus is a great virus. And that is if, if the dog or cat gets parvo or is vaccinated for parvo, that immunity should last forever. Mm -hmm. And then I was in the small, what we call the small animal rotation, you know, and they were, the clinicians were teaching us through that. And they're saying, oh, yeah, for, for in vaccinology, mm -hmm. uh, don't forget, you've got to vaccinate every year because the immunity wears off. Hmm. Okay. So I always had that in the back of my mind. <laughs> Did know? anybody ever question them? It's like, well, you said this about this one. Uh, now you're saying in, this about this? In vet college, mm -hmm. when I went through vet college, you didn't question SIRS, whether or not they're male or female. It didn't matter. You, they were the gods, goddesses, yep. whatever. And so they knew everything. And best students don't know anything. Okay. Mm. So anyway, with, and with, with that little bit, it, when the thing that happened is the American Association of Feline Practitioners came out with a recommendation in uh, it's about 93 uh, that we should vaccinate cats only every three years but the reason they did that is because the injection of the vaccine and at that point they're pointing at rabies yeah. uh, was tied to the incidence of a feline fibrosarcoma tumor okay? right and and the re and the reason that this all came out is because this 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 small place called the state of new york uh, mandated that cats should have the rabies vaccine. Up until that point, there's no legal requirement. Uh, okay. well. So what they said is that oh, we want the dogs did have to have a vaccine, and they said no, cats should have it too. Bingo! You can imagine how many cats are all of a sudden getting rabies vaccines, and mm -hmm. the place they were injected was was in the, the scruff right over mm -hmm. there, right? So you yep. pick up the scruff, you put the needle in. Cat, the cat doesn't even realize what's happening. They don't feel a thing there, really. Um, and so you inject it. And also, but the problem that occurred is a few years later, after this mandatory vaccine campaign, the patho veterinary pathologists were all of a sudden getting all these cases of tumors mm. of feline fibrosarcoma. shoulders. Mm -hmm. Then the light bulb went on. It's like, hmm, is there something tied to this? You know. So, so anyway, based on that, the initial thinking it was the rabies vaccine, and then they thought, no, it's feline leukemia that's doing it too. Uh, and what it really came down to is that they changed the name from vaccine-associated feline fibrosarcoma mm -hmm. to injection-associated feline fibrosarcoma. Okay, because. Yeah. Program injections for flea control. They were given yeah. back. That could do it. Animals mm. could do it. Steroids. I could do it. And the reason why it happens in cats, and this doesn't happen in dogs, just just so to make that really clear, mm. uh, dogs do not get in, in a tumor due to injections like like vaccines. Um, but the reason in cats is that when you give an injection of something, they can have a severe inflammatory reaction. And one of the cells that does the reaction is called a fibroblast. Mm -hmm. and part of fibro fibrous tissue. 
Yes. Okay. And, it's, and, and it, you get the inflammation, the cells multiply anyway. But then they say, I think I'm going to really become cancerous instead. And they just go stupid. Mm-hmm. The initiation of the tumor. Yep. It's a horrible tumor, very hard to get out. We don't want it. Um, and a bit of the history that happened way back then, too, is that they said, oh, we should vaccinate as far down on the leg that we possibly can. And a lot of people misconstrued that as, oh, if we inject down the leg, the incidence of cancer will go down. And it's got nothing to do with that. The only reason they, they injected down on the leg was so that, oh, if a tumor occurs, and they still did, we can cure it by doing an amputation. So, so it, wasn't, it wasn't the reason for uh, reducing the cancer, okay? So the, the point is that when, when we're looking at having injections uh, causing uh, uh, an inflammatory reaction which can lead to a tumor, the solution is, why don't we not give the injections? Makes sense to me. I think it makes sense, all sense to me. So that's why they went to every three years initially. Mm-hmm. Because they knew the vaccines would work for three years. We, they, we, we know that. Yeah. And so, and that, that, that does is reduces the injections down to a third. That's, that, that's a really good start. Uh, and then uh, we started getting these things called guidelines that came out every year. And, or not every year, but every now and then from the American Association of Feline Practitioners. Mm-hmm. Our dogs, it was the American Animal Hospital Association. Uh, and recently now, when you look at it, it's the two together. Okay. They've gone through a lot of changes ever since they started. And when they first started, they were, it was a really good review of all the literature. I, I loved them because they really got into the details. And what they said, and here's, here's the two parts for the, the uh, we'll stick to the feline vaccine for you. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're, some, you're like cats, I think. But, <laughs> But anyway, the thing, there's, there's two parts. One is that the vaccine schedule said you should be doing the vaccines every three years or less. Most veterinarians only picked up on the every three years. They never looked, they never read the part that said or less. Yeah. So, so they stuck on the three years. When you looked at the fine print of the vaccine guidelines, what it said is for the core vaccine of panleukopenia and the respiratory viruses, Mm-hmm. We knew they were doing them every seven years and possibly even longer, but years weren't tested any past that point. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's the sort of the, 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 I call it, that's the science behind the, the vaccine. And I have a question for you because I was reading in an article a while back that back when they were finding the tumors on the cats, Mm-hmm. And they were trying to determine where's that tumor coming from. They actually did biopsies on the tumors themselves, and they found materials from the vaccines inside the tumors. Is that correct? And the, that's how they knew where it was coming from. Yeah, it was based on two things. One, uh, that it's actually very hard to find a remnant of a vaccine on on the slide. Right. Uh, but yes, they did. Uh, the, the most striking one and I remember seeing it in, in a journal, was yeah. that they had uh, a, a fibrosarcoma that developed around a microchip. Wow. So the microchip was right in the middle of the tumor. It's like, hmm, that's mm. interesting. 
Okay, um, but the uh, but the other side is um, when um, the thing that really put it together was just the history, and yeah. that is all all veterinarians up until that point were giving in, uh, the vaccines to cats over the shoulders, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we had these you know hundreds of cases of tumors over the shoulders. Hmm, that's mm-hmm. called that's called cause and effect. You know, and so nothing else can do that. Yeah. I had a cat years ago who was strictly indoor. And this was back before I was got smart. (laughs) I was one of those pet parents that would take my cats in every year when I got this stupid card in the mail. Because that's what I, I didn't know any better, right? So I'm sure people who are watching probably have done the same thing. Maybe you are still doing the same thing. Please stop. (laughs) if you are, but I would go in every year and I would have this cat revaccinated and he, you know, eventually something started going wrong and he started growing a tumor on his leg at the joint. And it was like this, I think it was like a, more like an osteosarcoma, you know, it was around the bone itself Mm -hmm. and they had to go in and they had to remove everything and he said, I think we got it all, but lo and behold, it started to grow back. And it actually, he actually developed a tumor in his lungs too. And the doctor was mm-hmm. thinking somehow it was because, you know, one side of the body started to produce these yeah. things and it just kind of spread to the other parts of the body. But one of the things that I also learned that I was doing every year and nobody told me I didn't have to, I was giving him the feline leukemia vaccine when he was an indoor cat. And I never, and he goes, well, you know, probably, you know, you you probably didn't need to be giving him that vaccine. And I'm like, well, then why didn't you tell me? (laughs) I'm not a doctor here. I'm not, I don't know those things. Why are, why don't they share those kinds of things with us? Like we're doing something that's not necessary. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, uh, Things that we should be questioning. Yes. Yeah, and and that that's what I want to do. We're we're going to be doing this in in two parts. Yes. And, and so we're going to. What I want to do is hit the diseases today and, and give you a whole lot of facts about them. Perfect. And then next time we're going to look at you know how long do they actually last and looking at risk, the rabies question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should you be getting that? How often and all that stuff and what what do you can what can you, can you do legally. And, and then I'll go over the the way that I look at vaccinating cats, yes. which is, which you'll find is very very extremely minimal. Yeah, I'll put it down that way. But the but the when you bring up feline leukemia, that is a wonderful thing to talk about right there. Feline leukemia is a virus that's transmitted from cat to cat, mm-hmm. and that's the key. The only way your cat can get it is through contact with another that has it that has it yeah it has to have it too yeah that's that's the other part and so uh, and this is really something that gets to me Mm -hmm. indoor cats if you've got a true indoor cat okay and that is their boundary is is all the walls they never get out or if they get on 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 anything they're on a leash a harness and leash right Mm -hmm. if you're doing that the chances of getting feline leukemia and really all the other vaccinatable diseases goes down to zero. Okay. Yeah. 
feline leukemia is right out the door. And so there is no justification for giving an indoor cat a feline leukemia vaccine. There's just, there's just there can be, okay? And um, I know the vaccine manufacturers have, they've got this real neat idea that, well, if your cat even goes out on a leash, well, another cat might have been there. Yeah, maybe it has, but, you know, and the way I think of it is this, this way, HIV. Mm-hmm. If you had someone who walked on your sidewalk outside your house with HIV and even sneezed and peed and pooped on there and you go out your door, what are the chances of you picking it up from them? So, so there's, there's your feline leukemia idea right there. Feline leukemia is a serious disease um, and that is it's, it's really transmittable between uh, kittens Mm-hmm. That is when they will pick it up. Adult cats do not pick up feline leukemia. They have a resi- they have a, their immune system is quite resistant to it. Okay. Um, and so it's kittens that get it. Uh, and the thing about leukemia is that it will inf- infect them, but it may not be until years later that it starts to manifest. Mm. Okay, and and very simply, when I was first uh, a veterinarian, I used to see intestinal tumors, and they're called lymphosarcomas in cats. We've, I, at the hospital I was at, two, there was two of us, me and one other vet. We probably saw at least one case a week. Wow. Like it was, it was really prevalent, and and some, and we now and then we test them and find out, oh, they've got feline leukemia virus as well. Most of the time, we didn't test them. We're already in big trouble with this cat. Yeah. Um, but now, uh, and to give you an idea, like if you crank that up to 35 years later, and here, here I'm practicing with my, my wife, who's a vet as well, uh, and if we saw a couple a year, wow, you know, that, that was about it. You know, mm-hmm. so well, the face of the leukemia has really changed. And the only place you're going to see, see it is in the, I call it the feral barn situation, where they're just having kittens, passing between themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a problem in that population. Yeah. Okay. So so that's where you have to think about family leukemia and vaccines if you're trying to eradicate it in that group, which is, which is really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Okay. That the, the other diseases, I mean, the main one that we're always looking at is panleukopenia. Mm-hmm. And, and here's, here's a real neat one. The ones that die from panleukopenia are the kittens. Yeah. It's just the same way as dogs. The ones that, dogs that die from parvo are your puppies. Mm-hmm. Okay, that have not been vaccinated, they're very young, and the resistance is poor. In adult cats, and here's, here's the way to frame it really well. There's a condition that you can get in adult cats uh, from panleukopenia virus. And that is, if you've got a queen that is pregnant and she picks up the panleukopenia virus during her pregnancy, she can give birth to kittens that have a neurological disorder. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of that one, Pam? No, not the neurological disorders, no. Okay, anyway, it's really neat. It's, It's called cerebellar... Uh, atrophy. Okay. The name of it. But what happens is the virus infects the queen and then it goes mm-hmm. to the kittens mm-hmm. and then it affects their brain development. 
Makes and, sense. And, and they, it you, some, usually does not cause, a, you know, stillbirths or uh, abortion or anything like that. They're born, they're, quote, healthy, but they have this really neat uh, problem, whereas when they're trying to walk, their feet, their, where do we go? their feet are going like this. And better yet, when they're trying to eat stuff, mm-hmm. it's going down to the bowl. And I'm not, and this is, and I'm not over exaggerating this. It's going down to the bowl, and they're going. Oh wow! Trying to swallow the food. Wow. Okay. Um, they're fine as long as they you get they can get the food in. They're happy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're when they're pooping, it's kind of weird too. Uh, but anyway, the thing is, this is the key. The queen never showed any symptoms of the infection. Okay, and these are queens that are over, say, a year old. Mm-hmm. So, and they weren't vaccinated. This is the key. They were, were never vaccinated. That's, that's why they got it. Right. So, an adult cat, given parvo, doesn't die from it. They can survive quite fine. Okay. So, that kind of tells you that in an adult cat, you pretty almost don't need to vaccinate for panleukopenia. Right. Okay, and and we know it lasts for seven years. So, but in the, but in the kittens, uh, if, if you give parvo to a six-week-old kitten, they're going to get vomiting, diarrhea, and good good chance they may pass away from it. Yeah. So it's a does question it, to keep them away from it. Right. Does it does it depend on how strong their immune system is as a kitten, whether they survive that or not? Yes. It, it depends on their immune system and their age. Okay. And so the um, the older they are, the better chance. The same with puppies. Yeah. If you give puppies that are eight weeks old parvo, half of them are going to die. Wow. Okay. If you give a puppy that's, you know, 20 weeks old parvo, very, not that many will die. Okay. It depends how, depends how healthy they are and what's going on. Yeah. Um, but having them on, you know, really good food, keeping them healthier, and and having, uh, you know, they've got, you know, they've got their mother's milk, so they've got some immunity to it. That's the key. Okay. So you're really looking at trying to make sure you've got a healthy environment, where they and hopefully where they're not exposed to the diseases. Right. Okay. Right. And, and most, I call it responsible cat breeders or cat owners. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think many cat owners are, would turn this all breeders because it's usually a case of one litter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, as, as you're just going to be replacing the one cat usually is what you're trying to do. So. Right. So if you have like a, a cat who has never been living on the street, that was always taken well care of and, you know, lived probably primarily indoors and had a litter of kittens, probably mm-hmm. very small chance that the kittens will have panleukopenia. Very, very little. Yeah. The yeah. way you, the way they're going to pick up panleukopenia is being in a, a feral colony mm-hmm. or uh, the mother is has given birth or she's shortly after she gave birth, all of them are moved to a sheltering situation. Hmm. That's that's where the risk is, and and when you think of it, uh, most shelters now do not keep puppies or kittens in the shelter anymore. No. You know they 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 get them out. They, they we don't want them here. You know because because of the risk. 
Is it because the viruses spread so fast and easily in a shelter situation? Yeah, part it's okay. Feline leukemia mm -hmm. is very fragile virus. Okay, so you're not going to pick it up for, with where that other cat's being the infection. Yeah. Okay, parvovirus, on the other hand, is a very stable virus. Mm -hmm. Lasts for months or even years in the right situation, and okay. so for that reasoning, yeah, it's uh, when a shelter gets par, you know, panleukopenia inside it. It's a case of okay, all the cats out. You got to yeah. bleach this thing like mad, yeah, many times, and pray that you get it all. And so it's, it's a real, it's a real hazard to the cats in there. And so that, that's not a disease you want in there. Mm. Uh, okay. And so yeah, it's um, but that's that's the situation where you're going to pick up panleukopenia. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got if you've got a cat at home that's just given birth to kittens, you're probably going to be keeping her inside, mm -hmm. okay, because you don't want her going outside with her kittens anywhere. Um, and then the the next stage is how are you going to introduce them? How are they going to get introduced to the world? Well, a lot of times they're going to be kept inside until they get to their new homes. Right. Right. And then they're going to keep them inside for for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So so that that's the whole key there. Okay. And so we, what we want to do is just to minimize the exposure to those those diseases. Feline leukemia really easy. You get rid of the cat to cat contact. Mm -hmm. do anyway. Right. right. Um, and then with the panleukopenia, that that's the one. And this and, and conventional vets are right on this thing. That's the one that if you go to a place where cats have panleukopenia, you can carry it home on your shoes. Oh wow. Okay. Okay, it's so if, if you're volunteering at a shelter that has a problem with parvovirus, cat or dog, uh, what you should be doing with that situation, and I, to I totally agree with this one, is that before you get into your house, you uh, you take off your shoes, you know, and uh, and or you have a bucket where you can put your shoe in, uh, and it has a bleach solution in there. Mm-hmm. Anything that's on the shoes. And then as you go in, you strip your clothes off and put them straight into the washer. Gotcha. Okay. And then after you've cleaned your hands really well, that's when you can go and play with your cat. Right. Okay. We have a question over here. Um, she says, yeah. what if an indoor cat, and if you go to your top right of your screen and look at comments, you might be able to see it. it says, what if an indoor cat has to go into boarding for two or three weeks? Would they need vaccinations that they wouldn't otherwise other uh, being only in their own in their own home. Great, great question. Okay, so in this case, we're dealing with a cat that doesn't have any risk because it's indoor. Mm-hmm. And then it's going into a place that could have risks. Okay, so that's that's what you're doing in a boarding situation. So it depends. First off, uh, there's a few things that determine what's going on. The first requirement is what are, is the boarding facility requiring in terms of vaccines? Because yeah. that's that's going to determine whether you have a passport to get in there or not. Okay, so so that that's sort of the, the that's the first hurdle in in terms of getting your indoor unvaccinated cat into the door. Um, the other side with that is that then it depends on what the, your veterinarian is willing to do in terms of you getting getting in that door. Mm -hmm. And this is something we did at my practice all the time, and that is there's a lot of cats and dogs 
that have chronic health issues. Yes. They have allergies. They've got inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, they had a tumor taken off at one point. Mm-hmm. They're diabetic. Mm-hmm. You know, like name your disease, right? Yep. And uh, and oh, they're just, they're fairly old. You know, they're yeah. kind of worried about giving them something, right? So in, in those situations, what we would do is write a, a note that says we we have recommended this owner not get vaccines for this cat due to medical conditions. And that, for some kennels, is enough. And that is, hey, we required it. You're, you're not getting it. And, and more or less, you're, as an owner, you're taking on the liability. Yeah. The issue there. What ch- now, the other side is, what are the chances of your cat picking something up in that situation? I've already told you that panleukopenia can only affect kittens. Mm-hmm. That's gone. Feline leukemia, is your cat going to be in a room with all kinds of other cats where they can, you know, interact and such? Uh, that's, that's, now, if it's going to be in, in, a, in a kennel or a, a house or whatever you call the, the, the uh, place right. that is going to be, right. yeah, I'm talking about the individual unit here. Yeah, right? and that's mostly how they operate. You know, they're not yeah. going to put them all together in one big room and go, y'all get along. Exactly. That's don't do that. <laughs> so as long as they're in, they're isolated, so to yeah. speak. Um, the chances of the feline leukemia are gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the only thing you may need to worry about, and this is this, this is a concern because it does happen, it, are the respiratory viruses. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I think about the respiratory viruses, and there's two. There's rhinotracheitis, which is a herpes virus, mm-hmm. and Clichy virus, yep. which is a Clichy virus. Yeah. Okay. Both of them cause the same symptoms. Uh, there's ways to try and figure out which one it is, and if it, as a veterinarian, I can probably do it, just a phys- physical exam. But to anyone else, it's kind of like it's an upper respiratory infection. Okay. It's just like a flu bug. If mm-hmm. you and I were sitting at a table across from each other, and I'm coughing on you, chances are you're probably going to pick it up. Okay. The same thing, if you get on an airplane and there's a person behind you that's got uh, flu, mm-hmm. uh, even though you haven't kissed them, touched them, or done anything with them, you're, you're in proximity, okay, because those viruses are aerosolized, and so they, they can pass between cats. And if you've got a cat that's sneezing and passing it on, that happens a lot. So that can be a risk. So here's here's some I'll throw some whole lot of stuff and then we'll decide what we're going to do with this indoor cat. Um, the the first thing is the vaccines aren't 100% anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that is you can have a fully vaccinated cat and they can still pick up Kalichi virus and they can have a bit of a sniffles and runny nose and uh, maybe some coughing. Uh, but the point is they can still get the virus and they can still transmit the virus. Okay, so that's one stuff. The rhinotracheitis virus, which is a herpes virus, mm-hmm. about, and then the numbers differ depending on what study you find, and the studies are not that good, but generally somewhere between 40 and 60% of cats have latent herpes virus anyway. Okay, so it's just like, it's probably the same stats for people. You know? mm-hmm. and, and the thing about the herpes virus is that it's not a virus that you mount immune response to, get rid of, and then you're clear for life. 
what it is, it's a virus that gets into the nerves. And the and just like pe people get cold sores, okay? Mm -hmm. And that is, if, if, you, if you're prone to cold sores and I stress you, as in, as in I give you a disease, I put you on a long flight, and you can't sleep for three days or something like that, mm -hmm. that is when your cold sores will pop up. Okay. And, yeah. and one of our cats did this, uh, Clayton, he was a big black and white guy. His other name was Orca. But <laughs> uh, was in our first few years when we were living in this house, he had a battle going on with someone called Gray Kitty. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing about him was that uh, he got several abscesses from Gray Kitty. Yeah. Okay. Usually over his shoulders. Okay. Um, never at the back end. He was never retreating from Gray Kitty. He was there to <laughs> defend the fort, right? Right. But the point is, when he got that, when he got an abscess, usually we'd see the abscess, and usually within a couple of days, his left eye would start tearing. Mm. Just the one, and sometimes he'd start sneezing. Yeah. Guess what? The virus came up. Mm-hmm. So. Let's put your indoor cat into a, one of those kennels for two weeks. And usually about a week later is when the herpes virus will surface. And that is when your cat can transmit it to all the other cats in there. Hmm. Okay? Under so, stress. And your cat may never even show any symptoms. Okay? So they're in there. You can't get rid of these guys. And so, so they're they're always circulating, and you, even if your cat's vaccinated, it could pick it up. But similar thing, and that is generally it's a kittenhood issue. Yeah. Most most adult cats, if they pick it up, they're not going to get sick from it. It's going to be an inconvenient. They're going to have a snotty nose. They're going to be sneezing, and if they're really stressed, you know, maybe the, their appetite will go down. Mainly because they can't smell the food very well because of the nasal infection. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so with that in mind, uh, is there any point in trying to over-vaccinate to try to prevent that disease in, in a, I'll call it a cattery of some type? Hmm. You can yeah. try, but it's, the chances are it's not going to, it's, it's not going to prevent it completely. Right. Okay. And so, and then the other flip side is who are the ones that are really susceptible to that disease in terms of getting really sick, kids. Really, young, really young kids, and then the old ones that shouldn't be in a kennel like that anyway. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's just it's too much for them. They shouldn't be there. Okay. Especially if they already have underlying health conditions, right? Because they're more susceptible. Exactly. Does that make, them, that make them more susceptible to the stress and succumbing from the stress yeah. but, for what they and might be exposed to? Yeah, it's exactly the same as if you take a 50-year-old and you take an 83-year-old and give them both the flu virus. Mm -hmm. What's the probability of dying? Higher in the older one. Yeah, because mm -hmm. they have comorbidities. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. 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 So if I'm 90 years old and I've got heart disease and I've got diabetes and you give me a flu, flu virus, even if I'm vaccinated, mm, it doesn't look good. Yeah, that's true. Laura says, uh, she goes, I don't know if this would relate, but I've had my cat on NOSAs when he was younger, but I was told that if I brought another cat in the home, it would be wise to put my cat back on NOSAs. 
Ah, okay. Okay. Well, first off, you're assuming that the cat that you're bringing into the house is infected with something. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so generally, I, I would try and avoid that situation. I would keep them separate until there's something showing up or not. Mm. And then after two weeks, hey, we're clear. Yeah. But, but if it's that questionable, that I would I would go that route. You know, as in, I just got a cat from the shelter, right? And I've got a 10-year-old cat at home that, is in this situation, obviously hasn't had formal vaccines, right? So I'd be going, hmm, maybe we want to just keep this one a little bit separate. But the, the thing about no-sodes is that they don't, they don't create an immune response. That isn't what homeopathics do, okay? So you can't give a no-sode to a cat or a dog and then measure an antibody response. It doesn't happen, okay? Yeah, yeah. What you're doing is you're giving a no-sode to prevent the disease from taking hold, mm -hmm. okay? So if, 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 that's, if that's the way you, you're, you, you manage the cat in terms of getting no-sodes when they're younger, then definitely if there's going to be a risk, that's when you should give the no-sode again. Good point. Good idea. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And then Laura says, if I had a cat with a heart condition from birth, that would make them more susceptible to other diseases? It depends. Uh, the, the big question there is whether or not the heart condition is causing an, a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, and th this is how I, I explain it. In my teens, I had a heart murmur. Yeah. Okay, and it, the doctor said, "Oh, you've got a murmur." I said, "Yeah, but look what I'm doing." I mean, I was. I mean, in my teens, I was crazy, stupid, fit, right? <laughs> and and then uh, when in my forties, I ran a marathon. You know, mm -hmm. so did I have did I have a heart problem? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not really, not really. Um, so so it depends. So if you've got a cat, and and this is this is a question that we ought to be asking in this case, what is a heart problem? Okay, as in was a murmur picked up? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a heart issue. Right. Okay. Um, you'd have to do ultrasound and things to find out if the heart's compromised. Right. Right. If it is. And then if you throw in a, a couple of viruses or something and stress that cat with an underlying heart issue, maybe it could be an issue there. Mm -hmm. okay. But uh, I, I, we'd have to know what that meant. What, what does heart condition mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you have to, you have to sort of decide what's going on there in terms of in terms of overall health. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The um, just to throw out, I'm gonna, just so we can get this one completed this time, there is a vaccine for FIP. Mm, okay. Okay. And FIP, you know what that means, Pam? Feline infectious peritonitis. Bingo. Yes. yes. Okay. So feline infectious peritonitis is a coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Okay. And but it's got no relation whatsoever to the COVID coronavirus that we talk about as, as humans, okay? Yep. It's also totally quite different from the coronavirus in dogs. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll hit dogs first, it's real fast. Coronavirus vaccine in dogs came out of the 1980s. The study that they did on it uh, was a total failure. And what I mean by that is that the animals that weren't vaccinated and given coronavirus to test how they got sick didn't get sick at all. 
okay? Which meant, gee, the coronavirus isn't actually causing any disease here. So right. what, what are we trying to prevent with the vaccine? Not much, okay? So all the guidelines for canine coronavirus say do not use the vaccine. It's not needed. Right. But there's still a whole lot of vets that, that give it, you know, but there's no point whatsoever. The feline version of coronavirus is feline infectious peritonitis, which means it's an inflammatory uh, condition. Remember, cats are really good at inflammatory stuff. They really are. Yeah. So it's where you get fluid buildup in the chest, in the abdomen, and also you can get inflammatory conditions in the nervous system, in the eyes, in the kidneys, you know, mm-hmm. mainly more. You know, it just depends on where it decides to settle. Um, but when they did the, the study on the vaccine for FIP, and this was way back in the 19, early 1990s, probably, um, the, the, study, the official study for the vaccine showed that the ones that were vaccinated for FIP died faster than the ones that weren't vaccinated for FIP. Wow. Okay. So in other words, what's this, why is it out on the market? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yes. so, so, so the American Association of Feline Practitioners actually says in their vaccine guidelines, do not use the vaccine. Mm. There's not many vets that do, uh, but I have in, in the students that I teach and such, it keeps coming up. Their veterinarians mm. recommending it. I'm going, you're kidding. Like, haven't they read anything in the last 30 years? Right. And uh, so that, that's one that should not be used, but it's still on the market. It's still being sold. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, I, it's, there's something not quite right there. Okay. Yeah. FIP is a serious disease. I, I, won't, I won't counter that. But the vaccine doesn't help out. So if a cat, it's typically kittens, right, in most cases that develop that or succumb to that virus or acquire that virus. Is that virus acquired through uh, just maternal antibodies from the mother, or are they getting it from their environment, or how is that passed? Okay, FIP is complicated. Mm. (laughs) Very complicated. Okay. All of the above. (laughs) Okay, so it starts out as a coronavirus in the gut. Okay, and most cats, almost all cats have been exposed to the coronavirus okay it's very similar to the dog world okay and that is a lot of dogs have had coronavirus too and so what happens is that you'll have a cat passing it to another cat and quite often it is the queen who is stressed during pregnancy and everything that passes it on to her kittens yeah okay so that's the genesis of the cats getting coronavirus all that all that may cause is a little bit of diarrhea or something like that, and that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. The problem is this, that coronavirus can mutate. And when it mutates, it forms the, we'll call it pathogenic coronavirus, okay? And that's the one that changes character completely. It's more chronic, so it stays in the body. And what happens is, as the cat produces an immune response to the corona, that coronavirus, it's the inflammatory response against the virus that causes the disease. Mm. So, wow. the, so the better the cat tries to fight it off, yeah, makes the disease worse. Wow. Okay, and that's where that's why you get the end stage uh, fluid buildup 
because of the inflammation inside the body cavities. Interesting. Uh, our cat, uh, little Cassidy, she's a little white jobby we got from the shelter. And when we got her, at five months old, has horrible skin allergies. Okay. And anyway, when she was about eight months old, all of a sudden she got inflammation in her eyes and she got, in, more or less, in a week, instant full blown cataracts. What? So we did the test on her and she, it was due to FIP. She got over it, and then she had cataract surgery about a year later, and she lived to quite old. She did quite well. So awesome. they can get over it, but it, it's, it's really rare. Really yeah, rare. yeah. Okay. Um, and cats who are older can actually somehow, like you said, I think maybe they carry that virus and then something, sure. stress or whatever, and then their body it mutates somehow and their body has this inflammatory reaction mm -hmm. to it and then they can develop it as an older cat and have the wet or the dry version, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not, we, what we don't know is a lot is, and this was a mystery for a long time, uh, we didn't know about that conversion of the virus from mm -hmm. coronavirus good to coronavirus bad. We didn't know yeah. about that and that was identified about 10 years ago. Um, and the other side is, we really don't know exactly when they pick this up. Mm -hmm. We think it's when they're in, in kittenhood, you know. But when you say older cat, are we talking a year, one that's two years or ten years, right? Uh, I, I've never seen it in a cat past about three. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's generally young, younger cats. These. Yeah. But did, did the three-year-old hat get it when it was four months old? Hard to say. Yeah. Really hard to say. Interesting. Um, I'm going over here to the comments and let's see. I think you answered if there's a vaccination against FIP. You said don't use it for cats. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Um, can FIP be brought home like panleukopenia virus? Um, I don't think so, right? Sorry, can it? FIP can FIP be brought home like Pan Luke? Oh no, no. no. Well, no. This is the key. The coronavirus possibly could be. Yeah. But you can't get the mutated virus as an infection. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's that's the key with that. It's, it doesn't doesn't work that way at all. So yeah. no. So, so this is the key. If you've got uh, two kittens, and, and I had this case a few years ago actually. Two kittens, one of them developed FIP. Hmm. The big question is, well, what about the other kitten? Should we be separating them? What should we be doing here? And it turns out, no, that one is not a threat to kitten B at this time. Yeah. But your other kitten may have coronavirus and it may develop into FIP and we don't but we don't know if it will or not. Right. So, right. But the, the, the door's already shut on that barn. <laughs> <laughs> Christine says we've cured and continue to cure countless cases of FIP thanks to the FIP cat group. I think that's um, FIP cat warriors, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. and a daily B B2 injection protocol. So that's awesome to know. B12, probably. I think maybe she meant B12, right, yeah. Christine? There yeah. might be a typo there. Um, and then... Chipmunk says, my kitty died of FIP at 10 and a half years old. I'm still trying to understand how she got it and where she got it. 
now we have a new kitty and worrying. Well, I wouldn't work. The fact that you had a cat with FIP has no, nothing no. to do with the yeah. animal. Okay, right. that, that, that's gone. Okay, uh, it, it's like you're, 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 uh, you had an old person in your house that had cancer and you're worried about you getting it from. No, it's not going to happen. Okay, yeah. so it's not going to be. Yeah, FIP, there's actually some uh, medication that you can get. Uh, which, which is a newer thing in the last couple of years, but it's injectable medication. Uh, I think it comes out of Australia, and the key is it's really expensive, and mm -hmm. kind of a. Uh, and actually, there's a webinar I'm going to next week, and it talks about how because I'm in Canada, mm -hmm. and so it talks about how we can get it into Canada, which is kind of there's a lot of hurdles to it. I found out. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Is it 100 percent? No, not at all. I know. But uh, it's better. I mean, when you go back 20 years ago, all we could do is watch, maybe put them on steroids, pray that they had a nice passing. That was about it. Right. So it's come a long way. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any other things that you wanted to cover? But we have about seven or eight more minutes. Minutes. Yeah. Okay. What um, what what I wanted to do next time is to go over exactly how long do the vaccines last. You know, mm -hmm. you, so if you're vaccinating, you put that into your program. Yes. Because okay. there's differences between all the viruses, all all the vaccines and the viruses that they protect on. The other thing we have to look at is risk, and we can sort of, let's let's explore that a little bit right now, and mm -hmm. that is. What's the risk of a cat picking up uh, a disease? Okay, so we already talked about the indoor cat, right? And mm -hmm. so um, if you've got an indoor cat, and it's and the way this is how I determined it uh, with, with my clients, I say, okay, is your cat indoors? Yes, it is. Okay, good. Okay, so it says the, about the only disease that we need to really look at here is that is rabies. And, and it's, the way it's transmitted here is by bats. Therefore, are your windows screened? Mm -hmm. Is your door screened? I mean, is there any chance that a bat can get into your house? And if they go, no, no, our, our house is bat-proof. It's like, okay. So that means your risk of rabies to your indoor cat is gone to zero. Okay? Mm -hmm. what, what carries rabies in different jurisdictions is a different animal, okay, as in, where I am, which is the West Coast, bats are number one, okay? Oh, yeah. Um, when, when you move to the West Coast, then you're talking about foxes, raccoons. Mm. If you go to the, what we call the prairies in Canada, the middle of Canada, skunks are your biggie. Interesting. Okay? Yeah. So it depends on where you live as to what creates the risk for mm -hmm. you. Um, uh, and then if you move and if you move around to the other side of the world, if you've got people in India watching this thing right now, mm -hmm. risk of rabies comes from dogs. Interesting. Un unvaccinated dogs. And that's, they, have, they have thousands of people uh, that die of rabies every year from dog bites. Wow. Okay. Yeah. In North America, we don't have that. Right. And so, so, so that that can really determine your risk of, uh, of for example, rabies in your cats in, indoors. But as soon as you start putting them outside, that's when the risk can start to change a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm glad you said that because we do have to look at the risk versus the benefit, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, of doing that particular vaccine. And if your cat is not going to be exposed and running around with, you know, if your area has those like negligent rabies cases in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And your cat's indoors, I'd say that's pretty pretty damn good idea yeah. that's not well, going to have rabies exposure you know exactly the well the, the thing that um happened with rabies of course is initially it was always dogs that were the main yeah. main ones that got the rabies vaccine okay and then starting especially when the vaccines were sort of suggested every three years mm-hmm. uh then it was a case of uh oh and this is vaccine manufacturers then had charts showing that actually the animal that has, that has more rabies reports is the cat. Therefore, we should be vaccinating cats like crazy. Okay, but but just to this, that sort of moves into a, sort of an interesting thing. How do veterinarians decide what schedule to follow? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, when I graduated, all cats and dogs needed annual vaccines. That's what we were told. And the reason we were told that is because your immunity, you give a vaccine, your immunity goes up, and then over the next year, it goes down. And then we have to revaccinate right here to get it back up again. Okay? So that, that, was, that was what we were told. That was in our minds. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it's still there. In, yeah. In, in what I call the new graduates. Okay? And so that, they're still taught about that idea. We have to maintain immunity by giving continual revaccination. And the vaccine manufacturers are not helping us with this. No, of course not. Right? They're going And so what we've got is uh, back in the 1990s, there was a push to go to every three years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, then that, and that was first in cats and then second in dogs. Okay, it's like, oh, great. You know, and I thought, oh, great. Okay, we can go to every three years. But the vaccine manufacturers were really resistant at that point because, okay, here's, here's, our, here's our vaccine information right here, and it says that you should vaccinate every year. That's on the drug insert. So, Mr. Veterinarian, if you give it every three years, you're not following our drug insert, so you're liable for it. Mm-hmm. And vets hate liability, okay? And so there was one vaccine manufacturer that came up with a three-year guarantee. And what they said is that, hey, doc, if you're vaccinating every three years, we'll back you up, even though they didn't have data to prove it on their vaccine. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's like, oh, okay, they went with it. And that, that was a company called Welcome Burroughs at that time. They got taken over by another one and that was which got swallowed by another one. Oh, it's a mess. Um, but anyway, the point is that they, they started putting the shoehorn in there, and it's like, okay, the wedge, the wedge was opening it up, right? And so the other manufacturers said, okay, our vaccine's good for three years, too. You know, So at least yeah. we got to that far. Like I said, they weren't following the other small print that said it was good for, in dogs. It's good for nine years for the core vaccines. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they weren't following that. And uh, the thing that happened, of course, and this is specific to cats, is that if you remember when we were talking about the tumors, uh, one of the things that they 
thought at that time was that it was due to the adjuvants in the vaccine. Therefore, if we can create a vaccine with no adjuvants, that means it won't create the tumor. Okay, so then we had vaccines coming out which were purer, you know, as a, a pure vaccine. And so you may recognize there was some that had names similar to that. And so, but the problem was with no adjuvant to stimulate the immune system, they had to be given every year. Mm. So, boom, we're going back to annual vaccines again. Yeah. And now we know years later that there is no difference in the tumor prevalence between adjuvanted and non-adjuvanted vaccines. Mm. So all we're doing is we're giving them three times as often, which is increasing the risk again. Right. And that is a great place to wrap it up because we're going to have to wrap the show up. But, oh, my gosh, we're going to pick this up in April because Dr. Jeff is going to come back and we're going to dive into even more interesting information about vaccines and over vaccination Mm -hmm. so that you can be an empowered and informed pet parent whether you have cats or dogs. So I, I truly hope that you guys found this conversation um, helpful. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys again in April for part two. So thanks everybody for joining. If we did not answer your questions, we will get to it next time. So thanks everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your evening and we'll talk to you soon. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show.